it's such a joy to be here and an honor to be in this church. Love Raleigh, love all the people here, and you're a good-looking bunch. I'm telling you, I believe you're the best-looking congregation I've seen today. Praise the Lord. And, uh, and uh, I'm thankful, and this Thanksgiving season, I'm very thankful for this church and for their partnership and for your pastor who believes in us and supports us. It's a, it's, I'm thankful to be one of the 27. Praise the Lord. And, and this church is doing a lot, is affecting not only this area, but you can see uh, what's happening on the other part of the world. You have a part in that as well. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, I want to share with you something that's on my heart. And uh, I don't just pull out uh, some notes from a dusty uh, filing cabinet, but I endeavor to pray. It sometimes takes time. And, and uh, this would not be the message that I would choose to preach. And maybe this would not be the message that you would choose to hear. <laughs> but before you leave, I would like to say this, that uh, this is what the Lord gave me. And so I'm going to go with it. Praise the Lord. And of course, I'm not here to tickle your ear. I'm here to nourish your spirit with his word, you know. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. And as you're finding that place or turning there, I'm going to pray again, Father, I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon these people. I thank you for wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. I pray, Father, that he that speaks may speak as the oracles of God and may he that minister do so with the ability that you furnish so that in all things Jesus Christ may be glorified. To him belong the honor and the power, and the dominion forever and ever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Someone shout amen. amen. Notice with me 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, but you, you follow me in your Bible. It says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. So it's interesting, what strikes me is Paul addressed this letter to those who are sanctified in Christ. The Greek word for sanctified is hagiadzo. I think it's pronounced that way, hagiadzo. And it means to make holy. Actually, the word sanctified is not an English word. It was borrowed from Latin. You know, nobody on the streets of, of Raleigh today says, are you feeling sanctified? It's not in the, it's not in the normal lexicon. It's, it, it comes directly from Latin. Sanctus means holy. And the word saint is derived from that, and it simply means one who is sanctified or, or one who is holy, not one who is canonized by the church, but one who is purified by the blood. So Paul said the believers in Corinth were made holy through their union with Christ. And not only them, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So in other words, if you're saved, according to the word of God, you are holy and the Greek word translated sanctified in this verse 
is in what we call the perfect tense in the Greek language because the Bible's originally written in Greek. Perfect New Testament. Greek perfect tense, which means this. An action that was completed in the past, but the effects of that action remain to the present. So you might say, I'm saved. Well, saved is past tense, but it means I got saved and I am saved now. So in Christ, you were made holy and you are holy now. Even if you've been a Christian for 20 years, you're still a new creation. There's no such thing as an old creation, old new creation. Are you listening to me? Amen. Let's look at another verse. Are you still here today? If you're not sure, you can ask the ushers. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1, but this time verse 30. It says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So I think in many like word of faith churches, churches like this, and I know that you all are taught very well, and maybe I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but maybe it'll just help to encourage you or reinforce what you've heard probably many times before. But in many word churches, if you were to declare, I am righteous in Christ, many people who hear you would nod their head in agreement and say, amen. Oh, yes, that's true. We're righteous in Christ. But if you were to say, and I'm holy in Christ, many of the same people would kind of scratch their head and say, I don't know about that one. I I, I know you. (laughs) But this verse tells me because you are in Christ, he is your righteousness and he is your sanctification. You are holy with his holiness. You didn't put yourself into Christ, God did that. And you didn't sanctify yourself, he did that as well. Amen? The International Children's Bible, hey, it works, says this, Christ is the reason we are holy. Amen? Look at your neighbor and just smile real big. I hope you're listening. Amen? So notice again our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, it says, we are called to be saints. Did you notice that? We are called, sanctified in Christ, and called to be saints. Okay, the word called in Greek, kletos, means, among other things, to be divinely selected or appointed. God chose you to be a saint. That means a holy one. Just as much, just as much as he chose Paul to be an apostle. Because in verse 1, it's the same Greek word, kletos. I'm called to be an apostle. You're called to be a saint. And being a sanctified one is your first calling. Apostle means one who's sent. So if you're not interested in being holy, God's not interested in sending you anywhere. (laughs) Are you out there today? (laughs) Amen. And so what is holiness? The word holy, uh, I, I would say it this way. There are two parts to the definition. There are two aspects to understanding this word, but they're interrelated. They're combined. First of all, the word holy means pure and clean, undefiled and without sin. And of course, 
The best way to understand this is simply to realize that God is holy. In fact, Revelation chapter 15 verse 4 says, For you alone are holy. Now, in Isaiah chapter 6, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah had a vision of heaven. He saw the throne of God and hovering near to God, he saw seraphim. He calls them seraphim, these strange six-winged angelic creatures. It's very strange, very peculiar. And it's interesting that Hebrew, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the Hebrew word seraph means burning bright. Burning bright. And it strongly suggests that these creatures, these, these angelic beings, they were not placid and calm, but they were passionate and burning with zeal for God. Nobody near to God's presence is nonchalant. Nobody in heaven is like, chill, man. (laughs) They have peace, that's true, but they are not just casual. They are passionate about the things of God. Amen? And he said he saw that these angelic beings, they called out to one another, holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. One translation says, they shouted to each other. They were not like just uh, like mind-numbed robots who were just pre-programmed to say something. Holy, 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 holy. But they were passionately saying, holy, holy is the Lord. Are you awake now? Because it was alive to them. It was real to them. Are you listening to me? They could have said a number of things. They could have said powerful, 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 or or, wonderful, wise, marvelous, amazing are you, O Lord. And that's all true. But they said holy is the Lord. Because anyone who stands in God's presence, I'm talking about his manifested presence, would immediately be struck with this reality. God is holy. And if you don't know that, you don't know God very well. Are you listening to me? And they said it three times. Well, alluding, perhaps alluding to like the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And also because, you know, to ancient Israelites, saying something thrice means it's, it's definite, it's sure. And here's the thing, here's the kicker. When Isaiah saw all of these things, he didn't say, wow, this is cool. This is really amazing. I'm so glad I'm here. I, I just wish I had a camera. It hasn't been invented yet, but I just wish I had a camera. I would post it online. That's not what he said. He said, woe is me. I don't know what the word woe means, but I know it doesn't sound very good. Woe is me, for I'm undone, or I'm lost. See, he immediately had a twofold revelation. Number one, God is holy. 
And number two, I'm not. <laughs> but uh, he goes on to say that one of the seraphim touched his mouth with a burning coal from the altar and said to him, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And then, and only then, did God say, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. God doesn't send unholy people to do holy things. Are you listening to me? The angel told him, your sin is atoned for. That's the English Standard Version, but that's, that's the Hebrew, atoned for. The Hebrew word for atone, I know you're getting a lot of Bible study. The Hebrew word for atone means to cover. You know, so in the Old Testament, atonement means to cover over, to cover over sin. Like, like you get a speeding ticket, you make a payment. Okay, you, you've, cleared, you've cleared it, you know. But in the New Testament, the blood of Jesus doesn't merely cover our sin. It removes our sin. It purges us of sin. It washes away our sin. If I got a stain on my shirt, I could take a cloth and make a patch and cover over that stain. And so you don't see it, but it's still there. Or I could take the shirt and wash it in a bucket of soapy water. And if I wash it, the stain is removed. I could reach my hand in the bucket and pull out the shirt, but I can't reach with the other hand and pull out the stain. It doesn't exist anymore. It's been dissolved. It's been removed. It's not there. God's not pretending that your sin is not there. It's not there. He has washed it away. He has removed it from your spirit. So I was very interested to hear the testimony of Brother Kenneth Hagin. Um, in 1950, he was holding a meeting, a tent meeting in one town in Texas. And uh, during, the, during that meeting, he had a vision, kind of similar to Isaiah. The Lord Jesus appeared to him and talked to him for over an hour, according to Brother Hagin's testimony. And I thought it was very interesting. He said that in the course of the conversation, at one point, Brother Hagin looked right in to the face of Jesus. I imagine, you know, sometimes you talk to people and you look around and I guess the overwhelming experience, whatever. But for, 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 for a moment, at one point, he looked right into the face of Jesus. And he said, when I saw his face, I just collapsed. And I fell at his feet and I began to weep. And he said, Brother Hagin testified and said, and I said to him, Lord, no one as unworthy as I am worthy to look upon your face. But Jesus responded to him rather sternly. He said this. Jesus responded to him rather sternly and said, stand up on your feet. You are worthy to look upon my face because I have washed you in my own precious blood. He made you worthy. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So again, we said the word holy has two meanings. First, it's pure and clean. But secondly, it means sacred. In other words, it's not common. It's something that's dedicated to God for his exclusive use. So, for example, in the book of Exodus... The Lord instructed Moses not only to build a tabernacle 
which is a tent, and the furnishings in it. But also he told him to make holy anointing oil. The Bible calls that holy anointing oil. And so Moses poured this on the head of the high priest and on all the furniture in the tabernacle to consecrate them to God. This is going to be used exclusively for the Lord. And this oil was called holy. Even the furnishings were called holy. But oil can't sin. When was the last time a table sinned? Or a chair? Furniture doesn't sin. It means it was consecrated to God for his exclusive use. This oil was special. It was not to be used for ordinary purposes. In other words, Moses' wife couldn't borrow some of that holy anointing oil to fry chicken in the afternoon. Like, hey, Moses, before you come home, bring some of that holy oil. I didn't have time to go to the market today. No, no, it was to be used only for God as he directed. And by the way, can I give you a little side thought here? There is, um, I hope this is not too difficult to understand, but there is a principle, like we would say a theological principle, called the rule of first use, or sometimes the rule of first mention. And this principle for understanding the Bible says the first time something is mentioned in the Bible, in Scripture, is very significant. The first time that the Scripture talks about anointing is here, when Moses made this holy anointing oil and poured it on the head of Aaron and his sons. See, when we talk about anointing, we almost instinctively think of power. Power! But according to the principle of first mention, its primary meaning is consecration. It does mean power, but this comes first. It means consecration. God anoints people for his exclusive use and service. You are an anointed one. That's why you're a Christian. You're sanctified because the Holy Spirit lives in you. The furnishings in the tabernacle did not make God holy. God, by his presence, made that holy. Are you listening to me? And God's a jealous God. I know it's quiet in this Presbyterian church, but God is a jealous God. Hmm? God's a jealous God. He's not willing to share you with the devil. He's not interested in dating you just on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. He's married to you. Amen. He says, you belong to me and I belong to you. Don't forget it. Hallelujah. So is there, is there a connection between being anointed and being holy? Hmm? Is there a connection between holiness and the anointing? Well, let me give you a verse of scripture. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. In this verse, 
the Father is speaking to the Son. And God calls Jesus God. He calls him God because he is divine. Amen? And notice it says this about Jesus. You loved what is right. You loved righteousness and you hated iniquity or, or, or wickedness. Therefore. Somebody say therefore. therefore. The word therefore means because of this. Because of what? Because you love what is right, because you hate what is wrong, God anointed him. Because of this, God anointed you. See, many people want Christ's anointing, but not Christ's attitude. Amen. Uh, I would just say this concerning us in this day in our generation. We need to be balanced in these things, you understand? Some people go to one extreme and, they, and, and then some people go to the opposite extreme. I don't think we hate sin enough. I don't think we hate sin enough. If you love God and if you love people, you will hate sin because sin destroys lives. That's why he hated wickedness, because he loves people, because he loves God. Now, some Christians, of course, they're not here in the first service. Maybe they'll come in the second service. Some Christians, some Christians hate sin out there somewhere. You know, all those people, all, all those rascals out there, they hate, they hate sin in the world, but not their own sin. <laughs> Amen. Let me, let me continue on this thought. When Jesus was baptized in Jordan, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit came down upon him to anoint him, just like this verse talks about. And a voice from heaven said this in uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 11. It says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. What was the father pleased with in Jesus when he said, with you, I'm well pleased. Was he pleased because of the sermons that Jesus had preached? At this point, Jesus had never preached a single sermon. Was he pleased with the demons? You know, he cast out so many demons. At this point in the life of Christ, he had not cast out a single demon. Was he pleased with the miracles and wonders he performed? At this point, he had never performed a single miracle. We know that his first miracle was turning the water into wine. That came after the Holy Spirit anointed him. What was he pleased with? The way he lived for 30 years in obscurity. Just because the world doesn't know your name doesn't mean God's not watching you. <laughs> Are you listening to me? The very fact, think about it. You know, we go to Bible school for three years to prepare for 30 years of ministry. Jesus prepared for 30 years, for three years of ministry, and those three years turned the world around. <laughs> Just a thought. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So again, notice this. We read Hebrews 1.9. It says, because you loved righteousness and hated wickedness or lawlessness, God anointed you, notice this, with the oil of gladness. Most people, even church people, they equate holiness with sadness. 
See, I was raised Presbyterian, God's frozen people. And we went to church every Sunday. In the parking lot, you could be normal. But when you walked in the church, you know, you had to put on your game face. <laughs> you had to look sad. You came and you looked at your toes and counted them or, you know, and you didn't, you didn't smile. You didn't smile. That's the way I was raised. Because if you smiled, you look like you're in sin. <laughs> What's that? Wipe that smile off your face. <laughs> because a lot of people, religious people, they think that holiness means that you're depressed. But here it says concerning Christ, because, because he loved what is, because of holiness, God the Father anointed him with the oil of gladness. Gladness. So if you are always depressed and angry, you're not very holy. I can't tell you how lonely I feel up here right now. <laughs> I don't have a friend in the room. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, so you are holy because you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You've been sanctified in Christ. You are holy also because you belong to God. I know you might want to say, it's my life. I can do whatever I want. You don't even belong to you. You have been bought with a price. <laughs> Amen. And you have been dedicated for God's exclusive use. In 1 Peter 2.9, in the New International Version, it says, we are God's special possession. Other translations say his tr unique treasure. You're not junk. You're not garbage. You're God's special treasure, and God takes care of what belongs to him. I don't know about you, but I take care of what belongs to me. Now, I can't say that about everybody in my family, but I can say that about me. You know, some people, if you loan them something, it comes back dented and scratched, you know. But me, I take care of the things that belong to me. God takes care of the things that belong to him. You're not, you're not yesterday's newspaper to be thrown in the wastebasket. You are his special treasure. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. However, however... It's one thing to be holy in God's sight and another thing to live holy in the sight of men. Just like it's one thing to be declared righteous in Christ, but we must also live righteously in this world. See, righteousness, for example, means right standing. Well, God intends that our right standing be converted into right walking. If your right standing doesn't translate into right walking, your right standing isn't worth very much. Amen? Let me read another verse. 2 Corinthians. This is, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Are you still here today? 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, aren't you glad that you're the beloved? God loves you. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So it seems like a contradiction. 
On the one hand, we are holy because of the finished work of Christ. But on the other hand, our holiness is incomplete because of the unfinished work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's still going on. You and I are a work in progress. He didn't just love you and leave you. He's working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day that Jesus Christ returns. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So the word sanctification, again, also means to be, means to be made holy, but also means to be set apart, to be separated. See, like things that, that are special to me, I have a special place for them. I, I separate that. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't put my watch, you know, just in, in the garbage can. I, a, I separate that, you know. So we have to be separated from garbage. That's how you cleanse yourself. Separated from sin and separated unto God. So holiness is perfected in our lives when we turn away from things that displease God and embrace the things that do please him. So holiness is not just saying no to what is wrong. It's also saying yes to what is right. And for every godly no in the Bible, there's at least one godly yes. In other words, it's not just not doing something, it's also doing something. Let me give you an example. <laughs> Ephesians 5.18, listen to this. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, that is ruinous, right? But be filled with the Spirit. Literally, be continually filled with the Spirit. So do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Many Christians, you know, they preach on the first part of that verse. Maybe we need to preach on it more. <laughs> Many Christians, at least they know the first part of that verse, but they forget the second part. Do not do this. Oh, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Oh, I'm not touching the bottle. Wait a minute. That's not all it says, but do this. Do not get drunk with wine, but... Be filled with the Spirit. And if you be continually filled, drink deeply of the Spirit. So if you do the second part, it's a lot easier to do the first part. So in other words, every time you're tempted to have a drink, you need more of the Holy Ghost. Why do people... We could preach another sermon right now. <laughs> Maybe this will help somebody. Why do people drink? Well, you know, and don't act like you don't know. But be, uh, why do people drink? Well, okay, some people, some people drink, some people get drunk because they're bored, got nothing to do, so they grab the bottle. So whenever you're bored, you need to praise God. You need to pray in the Holy Ghost. You need to worship him because you need another drink of the Holy Ghost. Have an adult day. Oh, then you need a drink. You need a drink, then, right? Hallelujah. Uh, why do people drink? Some people drink because they need courage. Their knees are knocking. I got, I got to face the music now, so I'm going to give me a drink. All right, I'll go out there. All right, so when you need courage, you need a drink of the Holy Ghost. You need another drink of the Holy Ghost. You need more of him. Hallelujah. Why do people drink? Some people drink because they're celebrating, right? Yeah, hey, I got a promotion. Yeah, let's celebrate. So they grab the bottle. All right, so whenever, you, whenever something good happens, I need more of the Holy Ghost. 
Let's celebrate. Let's pate tonight. Hallelujah. <laughs> Holy Ghost party. Amen. Hallelujah. If you're depressed, well, you need more of the Holy Ghost. Maybe you'd save a lot of money and time instead of going to every um, <clears throat> psychiatrist that's, that the world has to offer. Maybe you first need to get on your knees and pray in the spirit for a while till you get a breakthrough. Maybe that will help you more than anything. Just a thought. Hallelujah. All right, going back to that 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Again, let me read it again. It says, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion or perfecting holiness in our lives. So when we speak of holiness, and by the way, you know, most people, you know, th that's not their favorite word. Like if we, if we wrote a book called Anointing, people would buy it. Or Double Prosperity, man, they, they would sell like hotcakes. You have a book called Holiness, it just collects dust. Nobody even wants to look at it. They don't even want to touch it. They certainly don't want to spend any money on that. <laughs> you know, and, and if the Lord said, what, what do you need? You might say, more anointing. Money, actually. You know, yeah, a husband. You know, you might, uh, you know, whatever. You know, all kinds of things. But what you think you need may not be what you really need. That's why we don't announce ahead of time. I don't announce ahead of time what I'm preaching on. You know, you don't say, oh, he's preaching on holiness? Okay, we'll just go next Sunday. No, no, no. <laughs> You're going to get ambushed. <laughs> Hallelujah. So when we think of holiness, we instinctively think of abstaining from immorality, drugs, drunkenness, like we said. And, and that's, that's true. That's certainly true. But again, that scripture said, cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Every defilement. See, some people's spirits are defiled with fear. Now, see, if we have sinned, only the blood of Jesus can cleanse us, you see. It's all because of it. Well, how do we cleanse ourselves? Stop feeding the fear. By the way, I could preach a sermon right now. I could never understand why people would pay good money to watch a horror film. Why, why would you do that? You already have issues. <laughs> why, why would you just go ahead and pay the devil to, to, to enhance it? <laughs> why would you do that? <laughs> you go home, you can't even sleep that night. <laughs> you end up late for work and you, know, you get in trouble with the boss. Why would you do that? <laughs> Don't feed your fear. It'll just get bigger in your life. Feed your faith. Oh, let me go on. Many people are angry because they're afraid. Whenever you're angry, stop and ask yourself, what am I afraid of? Now, you might say, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm just angry. No, 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 no. Like, like um, you know, uh, whatever. Your wife spent a lot of money at the mall, and so you're angry at her, and you're just chewing her up. What are you afraid of? I'm not afraid of anything. This woman... God gave me. No, 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 no. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Right. You know. <laughs> I mean, we all know. <laughs> You're afraid we'll go broke. We'll go bankrupt. We won't have any money. All right. The way you overcome fear is not with anger, but with faith. With faith. My God supplies all my needs. He's going to take care of us. Maybe your, your son failed 
uh, you know, his final exams. He, fa- he failed. He didn't graduate from high school or whatever it is. And so you're angry at that boy. You're just, just giving him a, a lash, tongue lashing. What are you afraid of? Well, I'm just so disgusted with this fellow. No, 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 no. What are you afraid of? That he'll be a failure in life. He'll never get a job. He'll just be a bum. All right, the way you overcome fear is with faith. No, the seed of the righteous shall be mighty in the earth. This boy's not failing. I'm praying for him. His mama's praying for him. He's not going to fail. That's how you overcome fear. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Some people, their souls are defiled with anger and unforgiveness. Some people are defiled with pride and greed. I got to wrap this up because my time is coming to an end here. But it's interesting that the Apostle Paul, in writing this letter, would begin by saying to those who are sanctified in Christ. Because in ancient times, Corinth had a reputation for being an ungodly place, an immoral place. In fact, Aristophanes was a Greek playwright, and you'll forgive me for saying this, but it's just a fact. Aristophanes was a Greek playwright, lived about 400 years before Paul, I think. He coined this expression, Corinthianize, which meant fornication. (laughs) Oh, they're over there Corinthianizing. Plato, maybe you heard of Plato. Plato coined the expression, a Corinthian girl, to refer to a prostitute. To call somebody a Corinthian was to accuse them of being immoral in ancient times, in Paul's time. You see. Not only that, not only that, but the folks in Corinth, in the church at Corinth, they got some problems. <laughs> they got some serious problems. It ought to encourage every pastor to know that, you know, you thought maybe my church got problems. Look at these people. Would you like to pastor this church? <laughs> there, there's a guy in this church who's sleeping with his stepmother. Dude, (laughs) what's wrong with you? (laughs) Some of the people are coming to church and getting drunk during the communion service. Can't you do that at home? Paul asked that question. Can't you just do that at home? There's strife and division among them. They're broken up into factions. This group's over here. That group's over there. This group's there. You know, so it's, it's a total mess, you see. But Paul did not begin his letter by reprimanding them for their bad behavior. I mean, if I wrote the letter, I probably would have said, you backslidden buzzards. (laughs) You losers. (laughs) But he began by reminding them what Christ had done for them and who they are in him. You are sanctified in Christ. I heard Joyce Meyer say this. I'm going to finish this right about now. (laughs) I heard Joyce Meyer say this. Many people get their do before their who. They they, they put their do, what they're doing, before their who, who they are. So in other words, uh, think of it this way. Don't let your outward activity determine your inward identity. Let your identity determine your activity. You are who God says you are. If you see yourself as like unholy, dirty, you know, just, and people say it all the time, you know, in the church world, they say, I'm just an old sinner, saved by grace. And it sounds nice, but you're really just giving yourself permission to sin. 
That's what you're doing. Oh, it's, you know, naturally. If you see yourself as unclean and dirty, then it'll be very easy to live that way. After all, and that's what you'll expect of yourself. But if you see yourself as clean because of the blood, if you see yourself as holy, it'll be easier for you to live that way. Have you ever, like, you know, you're working on your car or something like that or whatever, cleaning the house or something, and you're, you're all, like, you got your work clothes on or something, and you're all covered in grease and dirty like that? If, some, if you were walking down the street and someone said, hey, can you help me change this tire, you wouldn't say, oh, I might get dirty. They're going to say, you're already dirty. What do you mean? You're already dirty. But if you were walking down the street in a tuxedo, even if you saw somebody fixing their car or something and said, hey, I'll help you, probably that person would say, no, 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 no. No, no, no. I mean, you might get grease on your finger. See? You need to see yourself the way God sees you because you are not who this world says you are. You are who God says you are. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Can you stand with me to your feet right now? Praise the Lord. Why don't we lift our hands toward heaven right now and give God the praise and thanksgiving in this place. Can you, can you join with me? Let's just praise him right now for just a moment. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the word of God. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus. I want to say something to you. I'm going to pray, but I want to say something to you. It's not easy for me to share this message with you. I struggled with this. I wish I could stand here and tell you that I've just always lived a perfect, holy life, but that would be a lie. That would be a lie. I'd be nothing but a big, fat hypocrite. I've failed lots of times. I mean, as a Christian, I've done things that I'm not proud of. I'm not advertising it, but I'm just letting you know. That's what the blood of Jesus is for. And God is merciful. He doesn't give up on us. So don't give up on him. He's working in us. Amen? Maybe by sharing this, it'll kind of like, I'm not saying this to put anybody down, but maybe by the grace of God, we'll get a better revelation of who we are. And with his help, we can rise to it and live more like Christ. Is that okay? Would you lift up your hands toward heaven with me right now? Pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that has washed me cleansed me, purged my heart. You have made me righteous in your sight and holy in Christ. Help me, Father, to see myself through the eyes of God, to see myself through the reflection of the mirror of God's word. And by your grace, Father, I cleanse myself from every defilement, everything that's displeasing in your sight. And in this year to come, and in this new season, I will be passionate for purity. I love what is right. I hate what is wrong. And I will be anointed with the oil of gladness. Thank you, Father. But Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray for this church. I pray for the wonderful, beautiful people here. All of us in our journey are pressing forward, pressing onward. We're letting go. There are some things we need to let go of. 
even this morning, I mentioned fear. Let it go. Let anxiety and stress, let it go. There are some things we need to turn. Do not chase after someone God has removed from your life. Sometimes God will kill the romantic relationship before the romantic relationship kills you. Some things we have to turn. We have to have some new boundaries in our life. Others may, but I cannot. Because I'm his. And I live to please him. And only to him am I answerable. I pray that you bless this congregation. Bless this church. The Lord is holy. He is holy. Can you just say that to yourself? I'm, I'm almost done here. Can you just say to yourself, Lord, you are holy. You are holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy. He's a holy God. In reverence, 